Welcome to the Bee Church Podcast, the podcast where we talk about, you know, churchy stuff. To find out more about the Bee Church Network and what we do, stick around until the end of the podcast. This is the third installment of our conversation with Mark Hughes. If you haven't listened to the previous two episodes, I recommend that you go back and listen to those ones first. I call this episode The Crazy Stuff. Without further ado, here is the final installment of the conversation Sarah and I had with Pastor Mark Hughes from Church of the Rock in Winnipeg. People know that you have the character to back it up and that you have the heart for evangelism and you you have this long track record of, of preaching the gospel the way that you do. Is that where you get the fuel to do the crazy stuff that you somehow get away with on stage? That's how you can get get away with being preaching at a at a leadership conference and giving everyone the finger for a good solid minute and a half or two minutes solid while you're teaching on the gifts. Is that, I'm so is that glad how you, you brought do that? that up? I'm so glad you brought that up. <laughs> you guys, you guys are really going after me here, aren't you? Uh, that was a good one. <laughs> uh, you know, I would, here's, here's, I did do that and I was having some fun and poking some fun at that. And I made the, I made the claim that I was, re, I, that it was just, it, why does it have to be obscene? And that I was reclaiming it. Uh, here's the thing. I would never do something like that in, on a Sunday morning. I would never do something like that in a, in a crowd of people that I felt would be offended with something like that. Because then I'm taking a, a, an, an unnecessary risk of uh, chasing someone away from the gospel, and they could easily be offended. And the thing was, when that happened, when that particular incident happened, uh, I actually knew everybody in that audience, and they all mm -hmm. knew me. And uh, my critics are typically people, and I have lots of critics, you know, you can't stick your head above the crowd without getting a few tomatoes. I have lots of critics, and I know that. Um, I also have very thick skin <laughs> or maybe a personality disorder is more like it, but, <laughs> but here's the thing I know is that those critics don't know me mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and I'm not claiming to have some unimpeachable character, but here's what I'm saying. The people who know me are not my critics because they actually know who I am and they know where I'm coming from. And the people who throw stones at me are people that don't actually know me. And so, you know what? I don't really care what they think about me because if you don't know me as a person and if you don't really know what my character is, then why would I care what you said about me? Now, if let's say the two of you whom I've known for many years, if you challenged me on something and you said, Mark, we think that was really inappropriate and showed a lack of character or morality or whatever, I would take that seriously. I think that's a that's a really good point. I think anybody, a church planter or a longtime pastor who's going to innovate and stick their neck out, you have to be just cognizant of the fact that there's always going to be critics and you can't get away from that fact. And you do have to decide um, to both be humble enough to take correction in the appropriate places. But you do have to have thick enough skin to shake it off when that correction isn't warranted um, or useful um, and is on only serves to discourage you from being innovative. And I think we're in a time right now where the world is shifting so quickly 
we have no choice but to stick our necks out and try new things. If I could just sort of follow up on that, if you're going to be innovative and you're going to push the envelope, you had better have the character to back it up mm-hmm. because you will, you're not being safe any longer. And so because you're not being safe, you are going to be held up to a higher scrutiny. So if you're going to try things like that, you better have the character to back it up. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, John the Baptist, I call him innovative, wouldn't you? I, yeah. <laughs> yes. I mean, he was he was out there. I mean, he was saying things and doing things. I mean, imagine calling the the uh, the uh, Pharisees a brood of vipers, and I mean, that was a pretty bold statement that he made, and, and dressing like a lunatic and doing all these things. But we know we read the rest of the story. He he actually did have the character to back it up. <laughs> And, you know, we've heard stories recently that have really grieved me uh, about some sort of cutting edge pastors that actually ended up falling and they didn't have the character to back it up. And, and, you know, I don't want to mention names on this particular story, but I'm reading this and I'm thinking that guy started to believe his, his own press. And became a little too sc- cool for school. And whenever you start to believe your press that you're really something, you're in trouble. Mm-hmm. And and the whole idea is uh, we're not so special. <laughs> <laughs> it's not about us. It's about Jesus. And uh, you know, uh, I my advice to to people who have some d- level of success, you know, as far as when I, by that, I mean, that get some notoriety and some celebrity, they're, a, they got a huge target on their backs. And so you better be smart enough to keep your head low, or someone's going to blow it off. Uh, because you are you are a target and, and just don't take your don't just don't believe that press. There's, you're not that special. You're just this clay vessel that God's chosen to use. And if you can kind of keep that in perspective, maybe maybe you'll last through this thing. This, Is that this, where your self-deprecating humor comes from? That when you tell a big grand story, nine times out of 10, you're your own villain in the story? Uh, people, yeah, people think I'm pretty transparent uh, uh, and vulnerable. Uh, and I do that on purpose because, you know, you if you're on television, you got 100,000 people walk, watching you every week, which we do, 100,000 plus watch on television every week. It would be really, really easy for that to go to your head and for you to think that you're, you're you know, really something special. And so I want people to know. So the reason I do use self-deprecating humor is I want people to know that I know that I'm a goof. And, and, and I know that, you know, I make lots of mistakes and people can't believe the things that I'll say publicly about myself yeah, and the mistakes I've made and the dumb thoughts I've had and they shake their heads. And I think Sarah, when you and I met, I think I, I, I told some story about stepping <laughs> over a homeless guy, didn't I? Uh, no, it was throwing a granola bar at him and hitting him with it. That's what it was. And what you didn't know is I was sitting in that workshop and we had just started a homeless shelter and, uh, and I was running it and I, was trying to like get our leadership uh, 
to, to do some more things. I, I wanted to open up some more things and they were hesitant or whatever. And you told that story and I was so mad at you. And I think I said, and I'd never met you before. You didn't know who I was. Speaking of having thick skin and people who don't know you being your worst critics. And I think I said afterwards, you are the worst pastor I've ever met. I think that's what I said to you. Those were, I remember those were your exact words. Yeah. And so I apologize because um, I didn't take the time to stop and get to know you. But I think it was only a couple of years later, Alex and I were going to the conference in Florida, uh, church planting conference with Val and Ian. And then you were going to be joining us. And all I could think the whole plane ride was, oh, my goodness. I have to spend the whole week with Mark Hughes. And I said this horrible thing to him, but we ended up having a great time. We so did. thank you for, for giving for, me. For my you, by the end of that, you didn't hate me. <laughs> I I didn't hate you before. I just was mad at you. It's not the same as hating, but no, I, I've really. Your exact words after we spent a week together was, you're not near as horrible a person as I thought you were. Yes, yes. <laughs> you know that, that was such high praise. Thank you. You're you're well, you also bought me a book. So, you know, I can be persuaded with presents. Um, no, but I think that illustrates like a really good point is that uh, it is it is really important for us to have people in our life that we are willing to be corrected by, but it is really important to let other things roll off your shoulders. You have no idea why somebody has responded or reacted a certain way. Um, and it's so important to get to know people before you make those snap judgments. Um, I really appreciate the longer I've gotten to see you in, in operation. Um, I really appreciate your innovation and I appreciate the fact that you will go out of your way and out of your comfort zone and out of the comfort zone of everyone else around you to make sure somebody has the opportunity to know Jesus and understand who he is. And, um, and that level of dedication is something that I aspire to. So not only are you not the worst pastor I've ever met, but you might be a pretty decent guy. So there you go. Wow. I feel so vindicated. So on a different note, you've been doing this for a while. Like you said, 34 years in your current church uh, scenario, um, all in one big go, one like from founding to, to mega church. Uh, that's a pretty amazing run with a lot of the same people for a, a long period of time, uh, plus recording it for 24 of those years. Uh, how do you stay fresh? You, so you, you write these these big uh, theatrical things. You have books that you've you've published. You do a countless number of conferences. Uh, how do you have something to say next week? <laughs> like, how, how do you how do you keep uh, not just re regurgitating the same stuff over and over again, but but be fresh and have something to bring? Well, there's lots of people that would claim that I'm not fresh <laughs> and, that, and that I am regurgitating it. Yeah, he just keeps talking about this Jesus guy all the time. It's a funny story about that because, uh, you know, my father only heard me preach twice in his life. And uh, and he came on a Christmas Eve a couple of years before he passed away. And then he came the next Christmas Eve. And uh, I remember saying to him the second Christmas Eve, so he heard two Christmas messages. And I said to him, so... So, Pop, what did you what did you think of the service tonight? He said, "Well, Mark, to tell you the truth, he says you told that same story about the birth of Christ last year. You need some new material." <laughs> 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 I cracked up. 
I thought, what else do you talk about on Christmas but the birth of Christ, right? And I thought it was a pretty funny uh, statement. But to answer your question more seriously, uh, Alex, I think it's a real challenge to, to try to be fresh for a pastor. And, um, you know, I'd love to tell you it's easy. I don't think it's easy. I think I've really struggled with it um, and had to work hard at it. One of the things I've done, I'm in my 60s now. And uh, so one of the things I've done is uh, I have taken seasons where I, I don't preach. I used to go 12 months of the year. And now I don't. Um, I, I've now started taking uh, a month off in the winter and a month off in the spring or in the summer, rather, where I don't preach. I'm not necessarily not at work, but I'm not preaching. I take a whole month off. And I found if I don't do that, if I don't take a bit of a season off, I can't stay fresh. If I just go week after week, month after month, uh, it's pretty much impossible. But here, so that's one thing. You pace yourself. Uh, I have other people on, on staff who can preach and are creative and do all these things too. So I don't have to carry the ball all the time either. But here's the thing I would say to any pastor on this is you have to you have to feed yourself. You have to keep yourself fresh and you have to um, work on self-improvement all the time. Uh, I tell pastors this all the time that you have to work on your on yourself and on your own uh, self-improvement. And that means reading books and watching podcasts and listening to other people preach. And, you know, there's nothing new under the sun. Did anyone say that everything you do has to be brand new and fresh and unique and novel to you? It doesn't have to be. And I think it's okay for people to draw from other people. And I tell people the same for me. They say, you know, I really like that message you preached on such and such. Can you send me the, you know, the notes? I send them the notes. And I say, go ahead, make it your own, preach it. Why reinvent the wheel? Go for it. I have no problem with that. And, um, you know, I borrow stuff all the time. Uh, I'm a big comedian guy. I love watching comedians. Go figure, right? And uh, it's interesting how much of the same material and the same types of things that come up in different comics, they're all stealing from each other. Mm -hmm. Musicians are all stealing riffs from each other in music. You guys are music people, and you see it all the time. Why would we be any different? And so if you keep yourself, you know, your ear to the ground and you're listening to stuff, following stuff, reading stuff, you'll always stay fresh. And the Bible's pretty good too. <laughs> All right, final question. Uh, if you had a young pastor sitting in front of you who had some sort of innovative idea, something they wanted to start that was a little bit outside the box, uh, what kind of sagely advice would you give from this stage of your life? I'd, pro I'd probably just start by, by, saying, by saying go for it. However, I would, ask the, I would ask them a few challenging questions on it, like why are you going to do that? And what are you going to accomplish for it? And what kind of criticism are you going to face when you, when you do it? And, you know, the simple answer is you got to think it through. Mm -hmm. And you can't do things just for the sake of being different. And just for the sake of doing different is a lousy reason to do something. And, and I'll be honest with you, I've done a few of those things where I have been deliberately innovative. And when I've looked back at it, 
I thought I was just trying to do something different. And honestly, it didn't work. And I'll give you an example of it. Our back to the future thing that we did uh, was a lot of fun, uh, but probably the worst thing we ever did as far as communicating the gospel clearly. I just never really rung the story out of that properly. And it was a riot. It was funny. It was entertaining. It did not do a good job of communicating the gospel. And so I think, you know, you're going to make mistakes. So don't worry about that. Right. But I think you, I think I would tell some young guy, you know, don't be innovative just for the sake of being innovative, have a purpose in it. Try to know what you're trying to accomplish. The why is always more important than the what, right? You start with the why you lead with the why think it through. Are you prepared for the, <laughs> for the criticism or the pushback you might get? And are you going to get the results that you needed at the end of the day? So those would be my basic questions. Awesome. With that, thank you very much, Mark. We've really uh, appreciated your time and uh, your insight here. And it's always good to see you. Lots of fun, guys. God bless you. And thanks for having me. So what did the two of you think of that last segment with Mark Hughes? Well, um, I feel, I feel the need to say, I, I really don't think Mark is the worst pastor ever. And I, <laughs> I, I just, I just want to say that, um, uh, yeah, as far as the crazy stuff goes, that was a period of time in my life where I was a little bit crazy, um, and, uh, and was jumping to all kinds of conclusions. Mark and I have become friends since then. We're good. You've patched it up. And, uh, I still think, I still think you shouldn't throw granola bars at people, but that's just me. So. That was funny. Actually. I laughed when I heard that, <laughs> when I heard that, uh, that was how you introduced yourself, Sarah. Yeah. Hey, at least you're real. Yeah. You know what? You got to be honest about these things. You know, we, we said in, in both of the last two episodes, we talked about how you can romanticize stories. Well, I'm not about that. I'm going to go ahead and just tell you how messy I am right at the get-go. No surprises. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So in this episode, we talk a lot about self-deprecating humor and uh, and some of the stuff we touched on in that first episode of, of uh, the nature of character and reputation of how, um, how Mark actually can use that sort of self-deprecating uh, humor to, to be authentic, to be able to show the, uh, the kind of person he is to not, not put on a false front and build trust, which actually gives him the capacity to make these weird choices that he makes. Yeah. I, you know, early in my ministry, I used to use a lot of self pointed humor, you know, cause I thought it was funny. I, I didn't think there was anything behind it. And then I kind of got rebuked by a leader one time saying, you know, you, you're, modeling something here that's not healthy and they really they really came after me to be honest and and I and I kind of stopped doing it so I've I've struggled with the idea of self um you know point but but I have no problem being transparent or or real I I have no problem even talking about I mean you guys know you've heard me speak enough that I don't have a problem sharing my shortfalls or my mm -hmm. shortcomings but um, I do think there's a line sometimes when, the, if the self-abasing becomes, you know, uh, hurtful to other people. Like I know one time I, you know, I poked front fund uh, my weight, you know, by saying something along the lines that, 
you know, obviously my wife is a great cook. Just look at the mm -hmm. results or something to that yeah. effect. And, and, uh, we thought it was humorous and people would laugh. And I had the, a lady come up to me after uh, a message that I said that in one time. And she said like, she really struggles with food addiction and, and had weight issues and, and she found it quite offensive. And I thought, well, if my humor is going to, I mean, I don't mind taking risks and being open, but if it's going to actually hurt people, I don't, you know, so mm -hmm. I kind of started steering away from it. So I do appreciate uh, anybody that can do it without it being degrading, but still, funny so this is the episode where we talk about him fingering the crowd right that's uh in this part yeah that's I, in this part i think i think we should probably talk a little bit about the context of what is going on in that story we don't we don't do it very much or give it much much room he's talking about fivefold ministry in front of this church conference there's hundreds of people in the audience that are from churches from all over the world um and uh and he's get, talking about the, the, the five-fold ministry. So he holds up his hand and has the five fingers. And he, as he's going through, he's he's listing off different members of, so he uses it's like thumbs up for the first one and then, you know, finger pointer for the second yeah. one. When he gets to the middle one, he, he just he just holds up his 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 finger. And he, he, first he does it the palm out way. So that, cause it, cause if he did the other way, then he turns his hand around. It's like kind of offensive. <laughs> and, so like, and then he like, if I do it this way and he puts up both hands and like middle fingers, the crowd and explaining how offensive it is that he's fingering the crowd while fingering the crowd. It was a very, <laughs> but, <laughs> but in the context of the middle of this message, that was really serious talking about gifts and about, um, how the church is equipped to do things. And, and uh, it, but in the middle of it, it gets this really pointed humor moment that I don't think anyone other than him could get away with. <laughs> I just, I just can't imagine trying to do that. That's the issue though, right? It comes back to authenticity again. And whether, you know, I, I remember I was speaking to leaders one time and I felt like they were really not connecting and uh, maybe drifting off, checking their phones. I don't think they were taking notes. I think they were texting and whatever. And I, and I dropped a, you know, I dropped a, a word. I don't use the Lord's name in vain ever, but I dropped a, you know, a cuss word just to, to see if they were paying attention. And the, the gasp that happened in the crowd, you know, they were like so shocked. And and the reason it was so shocking is because I just don't talk that way. When I was, when I didn't know the Lord, every second word was an F-bomb. And so when I get, came to the Lord, that was one of the first things that I really felt convicted about was to not use language that would, you know, that wouldn't honor the Lord. And so my, I, I don't, really cuss or swear at all and so they were so shocked that i would use a word like that it worked in that instant because that was the point i was trying to shock them out of whatever um but i i think that you have to know who you are and know uh you know somewhat know the crowd you're speaking to to be able to get away with some of those kinds of things yeah that's part of being uh, and discovering your own voice and not trying to copy the voice of somebody else. I think too often preachers get their own mannerisms and their own catchphrases and that sort of stuff. And, uh, and it works in their environment. And then somebody is a big fan of their stuff and they start repeating the same lines and the same catchphrases. And, uh, it doesn't quite work. It, it doesn't, it doesn't right. fit the same way as it does with the, uh, the original, original person. I think this sort of stuff especially is one of those things you could look at and go, Oh, look at this effective TV preacher who has all this big audience. And, uh, and he, this is the way he jokes. If I joke like this, maybe I'll become more popular. And, right. and it doesn't, 
it doesn't work the same way because you don't have the credibility that he does or the necessarily the chops that he does. He's he's practiced at this stuff. He knows his timing. He's failed enough times <laughs> to be able to to get away with some of this stuff too. So yeah, he's had people walk right up to him and tell him he's the worst pastor they've ever met. <laughs> you know? Yeah. He's bombed a couple of times. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've had that honor too. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I think his advice is really good for all of this. You know, um, I think it's it's good advice. It he talked about it being good advice for innovators. That's what we were asking him about. But it's good advice for what kind of humor you're using. It's good advice for where the lines are, you know, where you draw them about what's appropriate and not appropriate in your context. Um, and his advice is think it through, like mm -hmm. really pay attention. Who is your audience? You know, what are you trying to accomplish right now? Think it through. Start with the why. Why yeah. would you do that? You know, um, again, we talked about how he's not just trying to get more press. He's not just trying to do things for shock value. You know, he's, he is breaking down barriers. He's shaking things up for a reason. Um, his, his humor is thoughtful. Um, so what is the why behind what you want to do? I'm going to be honest. If your why is I want to be like Mark Hughes, so I'm more popular. It's not a good why. It's just not a good why. Um, and then in any case, be prepared for criticism. You know, if you if you swear in your sermon, uh, you're going to get criticism from somebody. But if you are so careful that you never, ever say anything that's remotely going to offend anybody, you're still going to get criticism from somebody, right? Like you're, we've got people all across the spectrum about what is offensive and what's not offensive and what's important and what's not important. And, uh, and, and even different theologies coming in to every kind of uh, experience. Um, of what God wants from us, you're going to get criticized. It's just going to happen. So whatever you're doing, think it yeah. through, start with why are you doing it and be prepared for criticism. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's the thing, right? We don't, we're not here to please people. You know, we don't want fear of men. So we, yeah, just got to be authentic and, but know your why. I, I think, you know, I think we often, um, especially when we're talking about doing church, we're always talking about the methods, right? We, we spend, there's so many books out there about the methods. And I think we need to spend more time. What's the motive, right? Mm -hmm. The method can change over time, but what's your motive? What is the clear reason behind what you're doing? Um, and then, and then the method is always going to be secondary to that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Methodology changes, right. But, but the, you know, the, the why shouldn't. <laughs> It's got to be consistent. Mm -hmm. And so I do appreciate that for sure uh, about what Mark was saying and, and that he is true to who he is. Um, I think that that is really Im important. Um, you know, I remember uh, a story of when we had the youth church in Salmon Arm, um, you know, it was all young people. It was all non-church you know, mostly non-church kids. And, um, you know, we saw a real move of God there and we had lots of kids coming to Christ. I was an area director with Young Life uh, and that had collapsed and then my position at the church collapsed. And so we started this new visionary type thing. And I remember we had a band come through that wanted to play and, and they, for whatever reason, felt like their uh, band was supposed to wear suits when they played, even though they were young even though they were playing rock 
you know, Christian rock or uh, worship rock. And uh, they thought they should wear suits. And I told them, that I, it's not going to fly here because these kids don't really, they're not going to connect with you if you wear suits. I don't care what your music is. And, uh, and we're trying to, you know, I tried to explain to them what the environment we were trying to set, the culture we we're trying to set for these kids and stuff. And so anyway, they they wore them anyway. And, uh, and they weren't received well because of that. Right. And I just remembered thinking to myself, uh, a little while later, I was invited to, a, a, uh, to speak at a church and it was a conservative Baptist church. And it was, and here we have this youth ministry that's very charismatic, very lively and energetic. And, uh, and but they asked me to come and share they'd heard the testimony of what was going on and uh they you know had two hymns and then it's turned over to you to speak or whatever and i remember going into that church and i just wore what i'd wear on a saturday night with the youth and the lord i'm sitting on the front pew and the lord convicts me he says you're doing exactly what you didn't honor this house and, and, and so your my message for them may not be heard. And it's like, whoa, it was just like hit me so hard. And I realized I was doing the same thing. Like, you know, we got to We got to get our cues from the Lord and, 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 but we still need to honor those we're speaking to. We got to love the people more than the message, right? Or at least equal. I love the message <laughs> of the gospel, but I better love the people. Mm -hmm. Otherwise I'm just giving them a bunch of information. So I, I just, that really stood out to me in, in terms of this, this subject that Mark was talking about, just being innovative and, and creative is all great, but make sure we're honoring those people that mm -hmm. we're, I think it's about honor. It's not pleasing. It's about honor. I also love the story. He talks about his, uh, his dad coming to two messages and coming to the Christmas message in two different years. And, uh, the, the good old, uh, you told that same story last Christmas. It's like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, of course. But there's gotta be also ways. I think that's one of the reasons he does the, the theatrical stuff for his Easter presentation every year is that, um, how do you tell the same story over and over again in a way that people actually will hear it the second time. And so, yeah, I think there's, there's a certain level of in order to be faithful to the message, you also have to be innovative in how you communicate the message. And I think that's yeah. one of those things that we, we often forget, especially at, at times like Christmas and Easter, that um, this may be the only message people hear. They may only, they may be the the twice a year uh, Christian who comes in and uh, and fills in their section of pew for the for the Christmas service and for the the uh, the Easter service. Um, if this is the only times they get and they only hear the same two stories over and over again told the same way, uh, we may need to rethink that 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 approach. Yeah, I think it really challenged me to think about like we don't spend enough time putting ourselves in the place of a. Uh, somebody that's never been in a church environment or never mm -hmm. been in a, uh, you know, we, we tend to just assume people know things. And, uh, and so I, it really challenged me to be thinking, you know, that everything we do, we should be putting in, okay, how would I respond? How would a, you know, and I would go so far as to say, why don't we, why aren't we even inviting people that don't believe mm -hmm. and asking for their input? Like, I wouldn't have a problem asking. I, I remember we had a, a gathering where we were, um, you know, I can't remember what it was specifically, but we were honoring somebody that wasn't part of our church and they were part of the community. Uh, but they had had enough exposure to us to know who we were. So they were quite comfortable coming, but they brought somebody from the, uh, you know, from a leader from an agency in town with them who had never been in church, never had any church experience. 
And, um, and, uh, they said to me after I was talking to them and how did you, you know, he says, well, you know, I, I just, I feel like so loved here. I feel like, you know, so welcomed and, and she said, I can't put my finger on it, but something is different about this place. And then she said, but I didn't understand half of what was said. <laughs> so I'm I'm thinking, well, we got it 50% right. <laughs> it's like at least she felt accepted and loved. But yeah, a lot of times we assume that everybody knows exactly what the stories are and that they've heard it a thousand times. But even so, like if they have heard it a thousand times, what how could we present it in a way that they haven't, where it may stick a little bit deeper into their heart? Because mm-hmm. really the the idea is to get these stories written, the, the why of the stories written on the heart of people right mm-hmm. yeah so one of the things that i i think about over and over again especially working in this context of of innovative forms of church one of those things that um right now in canada about 20 percent of people will go to church at least once a month um and that's it just just one, that's the the benchmark is once a month and uh and 20 percent isn't that much the population in in the uh, Okanagan here, it's more like fifteen percent of people will be in a church at some point in uh, in the, in the month. Um, that means that you know eighty to eighty five percent of people will never darken the door of a church, in general. And so, uh, I think there's two main reasons for that: is that one is they think they know what church is like, and they don't want to do with the thing that they think that's going on there. And the other reason is that they've gone to church and it it didn't fit; it didn't work for them. All right. And so to a certain degree, we need to find ways of doing church uh, for the rest of the people. So there's, there's already a body of people who are served well the way church is going. They're doing, they're, they enjoy the, the format. They enjoy the song service. They enjoy the way that preaching is done. Uh, but we need to find the other 85%. How do we actually produce something that they would show up for, something they would find valuable, something that's worth getting out of bed in the morning and, and uh, on a Sunday when they have the day off and, and coming in and, and having community and, and learning and being a part of this, this uh, thing we do. And yeah. so I think this innovation, I think, is the, the key point to what we're doing here. Yeah, innovation will help with that for sure. I think, I think we also don't want to lose sight of the fact that we have a, we have a bit of a come and see mentality rather than a go and serve <laughs> mentality. And so I think we need a little work on that area as well, that, you know, if we go meet them where they're at and we join them in what they're doing and what they find interesting. I remember I got chastised once from a senior leader because uh, I would take Sundays off to go and take my kid to hockey. And they said, you should have your child in church on Sundays, not at hockey. And I said, I asked him, I said, well, what would the message to his teammates be that he can't come to church, uh, go to play hockey with them and support the team because he's at church? What would that, what message about church would that send? (laughs) to his people. And so I always resisted that concept, you know, like that we have to remove ourselves from everything to come and gather in a, uh, you know, Christ made us holy and we take the holiness to the world. We don't have to hide in the shadows. We're supposed to go into the, all the world and disciples. So I, I've always uh, resisted that idea that it's about come to church. I like come be the church, but go and be the church is even more powerful for me. I don't think the answer is, is either, or I think it is always both. I think part of innovating is, um, cause I think the gathering and fidelity to the gathering is wildly important. And, uh, but I think when the gathering can only be a Sunday morning 
expression with worship and a sermon that that I struggle with that because I think there's plenty of there's plenty of gathering happening all around the world that doesn't look like that and it is still it is still the fellowship of the saints right and so I think it's a both and I think if um if you got a lot of hockey players on a team and a lot of people doing hockey, uh, how do you equip those parents to um, have a space for to bring their kids to breakfast after hockey and and have some prayer and maybe some worship there or some teaching there? What does it look like to just absolutely turn on its head instead of um, instead of the gathering being what everything is centered around? What if you create a gathering that makes space for people to be in their perspective worlds uh, and doing the work of Jesus. So you're not sacrificing the gathering um, and you're not sacrificing the going. Somehow, can we we somehow make both super important enough that we're willing to do both differently? Mm -hmm. Yeah, really, you're just moving it where it happens. That's good, Sarah. I really like that. All right, let's go uh, dive into our next segment. What What if? All right. So what if a, uh, a group of people who loved humor started a stand-up comedy club? And what if they were the church? And what if that was their gathering point was the comedy club and not a church building as we know it? What if uh, we didn't get everybody into small groups? And what if instead we found out the natural intersections of people's lives outside of church and help them to see that as ministry to others and to each other? What if we discipled those people and, and trained them into leadership so that they could actually start that hockey team breakfast gathering and, um, and equip those people? What if we... Um, facilitated um, people with specialty areas, like maybe a follower of Christ who happens to be a coach for the Kelowna Rockets or for a team they would know and have them come in and share story. What if we lose our best leaders to ideas like this? What if we gave those leaders away? What would happen? What would happen if we sent our best and we didn't hold on to them? So you're saying, what if we did church in the places that we already are, and instead of adding new things to our rhythm and our life and become busy by adding and adding more things, what if we actually found the places where life already intersects, where we already exist in the world, and we start doing church intentionally in those spaces with those places and those people? That is so good. So good. What if we started a network called the B Church Network <laughs> and we helped facilitate that for those people that we provided hope, we provided encouragement and training, and we provided administration so they could just do that the best they can with everything they uh, have in them? What if? <laughs> That's great, guys. So what if this kind of church existed? Would you join in? If this was getting started in your neighborhood, would you help lead it? If there were a handful of others who were hoping to find a new way of doing church, wouldn't you want to at least meet them? We are always looking for people who are interested in starting new creative expressions of church community. That is what the Bee Church Network is. We are an incubator for experimental forms of church. 
If these ideas resonate with you, you can respond by doing the normal things like reviewing the podcast and sharing it with your friends. But more than that, if you are ready to pull up your socks and find new ways of being the church, we would love to help you. You can send us an email at thebchurch at gmail.com or visit us online at www.bchurchnetwork.com. There you can find links to the podcast, a blog, and more. The Bee Church Network is a member of the ACOP family of churches and finds its home in the center of the Okanagan in beautiful Kelowna, B.C. Thank you.